Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee and or occasionally wine and talking about anything and everything. We may use explicit language and will almost certainly drop F-bombs, but that is not the point or the drive of the content, so please consider us PG-13. There will be rants and raves and guests and occasionally readings. There will be conflicting creative advice driven by at least three utterly disparate points of view. Your hosts today through this madness are John Schmidt, Chaz Brenchley, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 19, World Building with Juliet Wade. Everyone, welcome Juliet Wade to the coffee shop. Hello, Juliet. Hi there. (laughs) It's nice to be here. Juliet also has a podcast, and besides being an amazing author and a fantastic coordinator working with Goodreads and many other programs, um, we were hoping that she might talk to us a bit today on the topic of world building, because that question seems to come up a lot. Yes, I love world building. (laughs) I talk about it for hours at a time. Excellent. I won't do it for hours here, though. Well, Well, we have a little bit of... just have to have you back, but... (laughs) Yeah. Before we get started, what's the name of your podcast? Uh, my podcast is uh, called Dive Into World Building. It's actually a YouTube show. I was going to say, I didn't think it's it was a podcast. It's not really a podcast. Um, uh, so you can go and you can find me on YouTube and my channel, and it has all my videos. And if you want to find written reports on all the videos that I've done, I have those at my blog, Dive Into World Building. So why, do, why did you choose to do it as, as, as videos rather than as a podcast? Well, I mean, what, what, what it was extra a long does... evolution, actually. Uh, it started when Google Hangouts started. Mm-hmm. Because I thought Google Hangouts was such a cool idea that I got a bunch of friends together and I was like, hey, we should talk about something. And of course, naturally, it was world building because that is what I talk about incessantly. <laughs> uh, and... And then we said, that was fun. Let's do it again. Now, when Google Hangouts first started, they didn't have any kind of recording. It was just you went, you had a conversation, and okay. then you and left, and it went and it poof, gone. and it was gone. Okay. So once we started doing it regularly because we thought this was so much fun, I started taking notes on what we had talked about so people who hadn't been there hmm. might be able to enjoy something of what we had spoken about. And then when... Google changed the format and they started doing automatic recordings to YouTube. I just automatically did that because it seemed like a good idea, but I never stopped doing the notes and the write-ups because I find those useful for people who don't have time to listen to audio for an hour or the ability in some way, you know? So yeah. And I've been doing it for more than five years. How often? Uh, Once a week. See, I'm not crazy. That's I take breaks. I do take breaks. That is a that is an awful lot of talking about world building. Well, well, yeah, because I mean, the world is a very large place. This is very true. Yeah, the, the universe is a large place full of many possible worlds and many I mean, possible universes. Absolutely, we've spoken about geology. We've spoken about bathrooms. We've spoken about <laughs> gender roles, and we've spoken about. Um, how to explore the implications of your speculative concept. And we've talked about all sorts of things. It's just, you know, 
every week we have a discussion and then I say, you know, do you guys have anything you want to talk about? And they always have things they want to talk about. So, so how, people how, suggest things and yeah. it's, it's really fun. So how many people are generally involved in this conversation? So um, I initially it was either me and one other person or me and whoever else wanted to show up. And so at this point it's usually me and three or four other people. Okay. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, it's, comfy group. It's about group. the size yeah. of this conversation. Um, it's a nice group, but it's not very big. I've occasionally had conversations where there were eight people. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you recall, Google Hangouts was actually limited to 10 people. Oh, yes, right. it was. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, recently, it was uh, the Hangouts on Air were discontinued, yeah. and so the show's been a bit bumpy looking for new technology. But currently, we're using Zoom meetings, and that appears to be working, and they can route live to YouTube. Excellent. So, so that aspect of it right. has been yeah. resolved. Um, but again, the right now the attendance is a little bumpy too. So, so do you have, I mean, do, do, is there like a sort of um, a, a queue of people who would like to join if, the, if a space develops? He wants chess wants in. No, 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 you okay, misunderstand so, me completely. Well, so, I'm just curious. So here's the thing. So one of the things that I've always found interesting about this is, is reasons called dive into world building yeah. is because we are not here to talk about world building. We're here to go deep into some aspect of world building. And that's why we keep having topics and topics and topics, because if you keep giving world building 101 a thousand times, yes. it gets boring. Yes. But if you focus in on little tiny things like, um, I like you know, bathrooms. Dis Disability <laughs> and accommodation. Well, bathrooms was a great topic. We had such a good time with that. And we've talked about colors. And we, I mean, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but the idea is to sort of get below the surface to, mm -hmm. to look at different kinds of phenomena in our world and how they play out across different cultures. And so at a certain point in 2014, I thought, well, you know, I really need to up my game a bit in terms of just um, exploring a diversity of world building views. And so what I started doing was interviewing people, mm -hmm. uh, interviewing authors and I interview authors about once a month. Right. Um, and so I've had all kinds of really amazing people on the show. I feel super, super lucky. And like he's been on the show. Um, and Kate Jemison has been on the Ooh. show. Ken Liu has been on the show. Mm -hmm. Those are some of my, you know, major lights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most recently J.M. Fry was on the show. Um, Tade Thompson's been on the show. I think did, I'm pronouncing Did you ever get right. Kate Elliott? I have not. I have not interviewed her. Is a whole world out there? Do you want her? I would love we to. We can I get her. <laughs> I would love to interview her. Absolutely. Because when you when you say world world building, she's been giving classes in it recently. Well, you so. know what? That's great. Yeah. And, well, you know, Kit, of course, is very passionate about the anthropology involved in the linguistics of. Um, and when you say Kit, of, you mean Catherine Carr. I do mean Catherine Carr. So. Yes. So, I mean, I, my, my academic background is in anthropology and linguistics and education. Um, and my writing completely changed when I started studying those things. <laughs> no, not at all shocked. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I actually wasn't a writer until after I had been studying them a while. Because, I mean, I was a writer when I was a kid. And then I just sort of did the academic thing for a very, very, very long time. And then I did, and I really started writing fiction in 1999. When I was in my PhD program, right? Um, did you did you expect to become an an, an academic? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. For for many years, right. absolutely. Yeah, I came second for a job in the Department of African and Asian Languages at the University of Florida. In fact, 
Um, and at that point, I had just had my first child and mm. threw up my hands and said, you know what? I'm just going to take a breather and write some fiction <laughs> and raise children and see how I go. And um, yeah, the problem was that once I started writing science fiction, I couldn't stop. And, that is a problem. And yeah, see, yeah. right? So so um, it was about how to fit things in. And, um, and at this point, I'm very happy uh, writing science fiction and, you know, having my family and teaching part-time sometimes. Um, and talking about world building. And talking about world building once a week. So I, I'm sure you've covered this in one of them, but how would you, if somebody said, well, you write science fiction, I want to write fantasy, that's completely different. How, how would you smile at them gently the way she's smiling at me right now? <laughs> and oh, say, I don't think this is gentle. I think this is gleeful. <laughs> almost maniacal. But almost a, maniacal. Comes with a, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I think of world building as something that everyone does. And it's not even restricted to fiction because... <laughs> Recreationism in history writing. pages are blank. They don't have worlds on them <laughs> until you build one there. Um, and so you can build a world that is an argumentative world for a paper, or you can build a world that is a facsimile of our world for nonfiction or you can build a world that has dramatic departures from our world. So, well, there's so you think basically that every time a writer approaches a blank screen or a blank sheet of paper. They are world building yeah. first. You could see that. Actually... And, yeah. And yeah. in a way, if I, if I view that every procedural cop drama I see on TV as being fanfic, and, and I do, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but, but there is a certain world of how that everybody agrees that this is what happens and there's a crime scene and this is what all cops do. And there so are that concepts if you... of justice that permeate those shows that are not the same as concepts of justice as they are. Played out in existing exactly. Oh my god! You know, and then there's there's regional variants, (laughs) international variants. Charles Strauss, of course, with his comments on um, halting state and rule thirty four. Oh yeah, Um, you know the virtual world. But there's that agreement that you're you've a world has been created. So once the world is created, whether it's real or not, it's what everybody writes in. So if you try to rebel off of that you run into some problems. Right. So those are, um, those are what I like to call public narratives. Public narratives. Good word. Um, and public narratives are very, very powerful. And yeah. people don't like departures from public narratives. Yeah. Um, could, could but you, you also have to set expectations. Like when you're starting a story of a particular type, you have to set expectations in a certain way. So I have a personal rule for my Varan world, which is the world that's coming out in my book that's coming out in February. And the rule is there has to be high tech somewhere on page one because the way that the society is organized, people tend to like to slot it into a different time period, uh, sort of bucket into the public narrative that they associated, uh, that they associate with, you know, uh, 18th century Mm -hmm. fiction or Mm -hmm. even medieval fiction Mm -hmm. sometimes has been, um, you know, so, I make sure to put electric lights or uh, digital watches or something right up, right. bam, on page one okay. in, a, you know, in, a, in a nice cozy spot. So mm-hmm. nobody's, you know, particularly so, hit in the face with them. But just so that I can say, look, you know, I told you on page one, yeah. I wasn't springing this on you. Right. Um, so just as a sidebar, mm. uh, what's your book that's coming out in February? So my book is called Mazes of Power. 
and it's the product of an enormous amount of work. It's coming out from Daw Books, and the publication date is February 4th, 2020. And okay, so, we're, so <laughs> on a Thursday, why, why do I say Thursday? On, on, a, on a weekday around then, we will get you back here to talk about the book. Well, I would love to do that. Um, but that was just a sidebar because we don't want to get distracted from our main theme. Absolutely. So when they, when people have come onto your podcast, for instance, do they say things like, so I have this great idea for this character and I need to know, you know, what kind of building do they have? I think there's, to stop back, it can come from three different directions. I have an idea for a character or I have an idea for this world. I don't know the characters of the story yet. Or is there, I have an idea for a story. I don't know about the world or the characters yet because there's three different world building. I think building. there's more than one way to enter this problem. Um, the way that I see it, everything is interconnected. Um, so in my view, the character is actually an ambassador for the world. And um, one of my major inspirations in writing, which is maybe surprising, is um, the Pillow Book of Sei Shonago, oh, yeah. which is a diary written by a Japanese um, waiting, uh, lady in waiting to Japanese noblewomen in the year 1000. And the thing that makes this book outstanding is it's her diary. And she is so incredibly opinionated and judgmental about everything she writes about that her personality and her world just spring off the page. So when I set about writing, I like to have a character who's extremely opinionated in the way that only a person in these circumstances, in this world, would be opinionated, um, who is not shy about telling you what they think of the things that are going on. Um, but again, you can find your way into it in any, any direction. You can start with a gadget. Say, oh, I've got this great idea for a gadget. Now, what, what kind, kind of, of technological have... underpinnings would this gadget's existence have to have? Yeah. And then what kind of culture, uh, mm -hmm. what kind of world, what kind of physical resources would have to be there in order for such a thing to exist. It's, it's like a giant web. And so land in any spot and you can find yeah. your way outward from there. So at what point do you personally start writing the fiction? Uh, do you mean, what do I start with? Um, yeah, no, I'm, what I mean is you have this complex structured world and the novel takes place within it. Did you build the world before you started writing the novel, or do the two things happen adjacent and simultaneous? Well, I started with a very, uh, in terms of the Varan world, I started yeah. with a very, very basic um, idea that was actually a, sort of a core fantasy idea, that there had been, you know, it was like a plot idea almost, that there had been kings and they had been cast down and then they had become the lowest of the low, and then they were supposed to come back up and regain their power and stuff. And, um, and that was when I was 13. Okay. <laughs> and so over time, the entire concept just sort of aggregated more things and became complex. And I started interrogating it a little bit and starting as started asking like, well, if this were actually to happen in a, an actual world, well, what would that actually look like and how would that play out? Um, and I decided at a certain point that I didn't really 
like the idea of these people just coming back and seizing power and stuff. I was like, what the heck is that? So, (laughs) um, but anyway, um, that is not the piece that the novel uh, that's mazes of power is about. Um, it's, it's very different because everything, a great many things have changed since then. Um, but I decided when I started studying anthropology and linguistics that I wanted the world to be very, socially realistic and um and i did a lot of research independent research on psychology because i wanted it to be psychologically realistic and and again it's all about taking these basic ideas and then chasing them into the deepest possible corners that you can the psychology i think of the world i love that you said that because that's I have found so often when I read books that they throw it out because they're very two-dimensional in some ways that everyone has motivations everybody has an inside voice everybody and 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 sometimes it's like it's easier to think people are just one dimension or two dimensions as you know current political climates seem to want to cast everybody into one or two dimensions but beneath the fact that I might be a very greedy individual and I love money and under that I might be there might there's there's so many other possibilities yeah. And I, I think it's the power of a the very devout strangler about that could be me. I'm not saying anything online, but, <laughs> but I, that was the way I liked things like the Miyazaki movies in those worlds, because this is the evil witch down there. And she caused all of this. Really? She's not, well, maybe not evil, maybe not just, well, she's just trying to get things done. Well, it's, there's <laughs> yeah. no order here. It's very frustrating. So she's just a woman trying to get by. And, and that's what's kind of neat about the psychology of them that you don't even realize it's psychology is it's complex and nobody's 100% good or 100% bad. And so one of my favorite classes in graduate school that was really instrumental in me becoming a writer was called Discourse Analysis. And it's a branch of linguistics that studies uh, levels of structure higher than the sentence. Okay. So it studies paragraphs and it studies discourses and it mm-hmm. studies, for example, entire patterns of political discourse and how people how people express their social relationships and their alignments and stuff through the way that they talk. And so this has become a really big deal for me because one of the things that I'm trying to accomplish is uh, internal points of view. And my worlds don't typically, I mean, if you look at my science fiction that I wrote for Analog, there's usually human and then there's an alien, but it's usually very much about how the alien thinks and that's what you're exploring as you go through. In the Varn world, there are no outsiders. Um, there are no visitors to the Varn world. It's, it's fully self-contained. And so I spent a lot of years figuring out how to write the perspective of somebody who had grown up within that structure. And the triangulation, of, cur- of course, that occurs is because the different point of view characters are from different castes within the society and each caste has its own culture and each person within that culture has their own relationship to the ideals that they're ostensibly supposed to hold and they struggle with the things that they're supposed to hold as virtues for example or you know the relationships that that um causes them to expect from people around them um because i think that in our world people struggle with the kinds of things like 
you know, here's how I'm supposed to be a moral person. How do I feel about that? <laughs> you know, um, running true to type is one of the things I find least exciting about vision. It, it is. I, I had a, a friend treated me to a long discussion in anticipation of his wedding. Hi, Igor. <laughs> on growing up in the Soviet school system in Soviet Russia mm. and his experiences there. And he had a lot of wonderful stories that were very alien to everything I knew, but he summed it up of saying, in Russia, you are created as a unit, as a society of a state, more than even a family, you are a state. And then you desperately want to be an individual. And he says he came to America and everybody here is encouraged to be an individual by everything that's Americanism. It's, you know, we are the lone wolf. We are the lone gunman. We are mm -hmm. the mossy knoll. We are all of these good and bad lone things trying to figure out how to be a group, how to be a society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, so. it just made for an interesting two different perspectives on and, and how they get along with each other then. How does this nation get on with that nation given the basic differences up through school. Mm -hmm. yeah. The basic differences of the individual that they have been educated in by the society. And, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. As you say, you can come at it in any angle. You touch a web and there's it all interconnects. Yep. So that's really fun. And I do a lot of work with um, dialogue and, and stuff, including uh, regional dialects um, that I invent. Oh, there's an interesting discussion. There are now I've seen, and it flared up again, do you write the dialects or not? <laughs> oh, okay, so the, I'll tell you exactly what I do. Tell me what you do. I don't like to change spelling. Um, I have one regional dialect that has a uh, consonant dropping rule at the end of words, and so when that happens, I, I will put an apostrophe and drop the consonant at the end of the word. Um, but it's it's in restricted linguistically mm -hmm. defined parameters, so it's not every mm -hmm. word; it's just sure. some. Um, but mostly, the dialects that I write are actually metrical dialects. So I change the stress patterns yeah. of how people mm -hmm. speak, yeah. and it really doesn't. I mean, I I'll change the words they use or the expressions that they use because that's something mm -hmm. that changes across dialects. But I will also change. Um, whether they're speaking mostly iambically or whether they're speaking trochaically, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, how would you write that? Is an interesting, like, if you, I had a professor once that was Norwegian, and the emphasis was on the wrong syllable all the way through it, and, and it was gave you a little bit of a, a headache watching as he bobbed and weaved and talked, and it was on the wrong syllable. Yeah. <laughs> how do you express that in writing? You well, don't. I don't. <laughs> no, I you, don't. Cho you choose another way because yeah. you can't. Um, so, so yeah, you shift the rhythms. You shift the rhythms. It's it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, so I have um, one character who is from a place called Safe Harbor, um, and he says, um, "Young master, please tell us now. You've not gone deaf or blind and ease us all our worry." Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And those stress is exactly where they should be in those words. It's just that that is not the pattern of stress that everyone else in the book is using. Cunning you are. <laughs> Approve Yoda would. <laughs> yes. 
it is it is a natural consequence of any of the more complicated languages that different areas speak differently in, in English, Americans, Australians, Irish, South Africans, and for God's sake, 27 different subparts of England can Hello. say the same sentence. He's right here. <laughs> well, but, you know, the fact that he lived in a city and we can't call him a member of that city because he wasn't born there. And there we go for another cultural difference. In America, you're American. And you, you might, if you live in California, you're pretty much Californian, but... If you weren't born there, you don't get to be one of those in England, as far as I can tell. Because you're not a Geordie. I am so not a Geordie. And I, how I, long did you live in Newcastle? Oh, 30-some years. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, it's not long enough. My mother um, moved to Cornwall um, just as she was turning 60. And she looked at me one one day and said, you know... If I, if I live till I'm 80, I'll still be an incomer here. Um, and she lived to be 95, and she was still an incomer. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a very welcome incomer, and they were lovely to her, but she was not one of them, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And that's just English. You know, Chinese. And here it's rare for people to be, have been born in California. Yeah, I'm, when I I'm, I'm, meet people who've been born in California, I go, really? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but I was born in Southern California, which adds. Well, yeah, later. see. But that. I was born, yeah, just a few. <laughs> oh, there you go. So if we can have, I I love deeping into the everybody poos, everybody poo, whatever that child's You're book back is. I'm back to the bathroom, but it took me to an interesting <laughs> place. What oh, is no. forbidden? You know, is there yeah. anything that you don't go into when you're building a world or? Wait, something that you avoid working on or, or something? Or talking about. Because, or talking. Yeah, but, oh, well, yes. so designing <laughs> taboos is a big deal. Yeah. Right? And things that you don't talk about or things that it's not polite to talk about. Um, in uh, in the Varan world, there's something called muck walking. And um, muck walking is actually easy to talk about. Um, it means that you're kind of slumming it with lower castes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that you want to be accused of doing, but it's not like people go, don't talk about that. If you say that, um, don't say it to me. Don't tell me I'm, I'm muck walking, but like we could easily talk about somebody else muck walking. Yeah. It's always by contrast them. by contrast. There's another word, which is cross marking and cross marking is illegal. And it means that you're adopting the legislated mark of another caste. Um, so there are legislated things and there are non-legislated things. Mm-hmm. So for the servant caste, for example, their legislated mark is a tattoo on the forehead. And kids just have like a cosmetic dot um, until they grow up and get to the point where they can get the tattoo. But anyway, Mbati also tend to wear black. Now, that is not their legislated mark. So if you wear black, you're not cross-marking. But if you draw a tattoo on your forehead, you are cross-marking. And cross-marking is considered gross and not a thing that we talk about. But you could be mud-walking as a servant by wearing black. Um, Muck-walking is just being in a place where lowers are. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But if you could put, you could wear black and go there um, and mingle legitimately. But if you drew a tattoo on your face, this is Well, so, for example, illegal? yeah, that's illegal. Yeah. So, um, and you could probably get, you know, arrested or in jail, yeah. possibly killed. Um, so the depending caste system is enforced were. with the legal. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's legally enforced. Um, Varna has a lot of 
uh, rules and laws and, and things. Um, but Wait. so, for example, um, not in this book, but I have a character in a later book who is about to go to another city and is worried about being in a place where there's just lots and lots and lots of people. And her friend says to her, I know exactly what you need to do. Come with me. I'm buying you some clothes. And what she does is she buys her a set of black clothes. And she says, if you wear black clothes, you know that no one will ever grab you from behind. Because they cannot tell until you turn around whether you're in Bati or not. <laughs> and nobody touches in Bati. <laughs> so it's, it's that kind of little stuff, like tiny personal safety life hacks, right? That, that I love little details of personal life, little details of personal decisions that are connected to the rules, but not actually just people sitting there laying out what the rules are. Right. So did you base this on something like one of the more Indian systems or like the Japanese it's with the Edo class? The Edo the, uh, yeah. Okay. But it isn't the same. Um, I, I added levels and, tweaked things and yeah yeah so anyway but we're not talking about the, we're not talking about the book till just, next february but i mean it makes for good yeah yeah it it's, 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 but, yeah, but this is the world <laughs> <Yes. example. laughs> but, but yeah and that's what i sort of meant by the the different classes and the different you know untouchables and mm -hmm. so do we not and so you can build that in is there any topic that is just forbidden because of the common world in science fiction we don't i mean in polite company, once upon a time, you didn't talk about sex, religion, or politics, but we sure write about it. So, is there anything left that is we just don't really go there? Surely not. No, Surely I try not to. I try not to omit everything, anything. But I did realize at a certain point that I had forgotten to give anybody glasses, and I was like, "Oh, do people wear glasses? Well, I should probably figure that out." <laughs> <laughs> but but mostly, mostly, whether people do a particular thing has to do with how they see their caste identity. So, so little tiny things would be weirdly distributed. And that's one of the Varan characteristics mm -hmm. is, you know, nobody pierces their ears except Arisen. Yeah. And um, nobody, nobody wears makeup except Cartoonin. <laughs> right. Even the nobles don't wear makeup because that would be a lower thing to do. Right. right? I mean, what are you going to do? Paint your face like an artisan? I mean, are you kidding me? So, yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. So, Kind of in all of this, it sounds like you can really come at world building from almost any angle just with an idea or I want to explore something. And then how did, did you and write it? you can it? also backform things. You can backform things. Yeah. When you were, you did tons and tons of research in advance and took a lot of notes. Did you use any tools in particular or just notepads or? Well, so. Um, 5,000 Microsoft. I was living in Japan <laughs> at one point. And so at, that was the point in my life when I stopped actually using a lot of paper and I started using just my computer because I wanted a laptop and I wanted everything that I was doing to be able to come with me and not to have to put a lot of pounds of stuff in a suitcase in order to get my research, et cetera, back. Because at that time I was doing my PhD and I had these reams of paper of articles that I was having to do for my exams and blah. anyway, so I didn't. Like I wanted everything for my writing to be in the laptop. <laughs> um, but I mean, I love using, I mean, I used, 
encyclopedias back at the beginning when I was first researching. I, okay, so no, I meant more of the writing as you're writing. Yeah, so are there, are there writing any tools? Notes, are there yeah. any systems? Are you a Scrivener girl? I'm a Scrivener a, girl because, okay. because, okay, so for several reasons. One is I'm a fanatical outliner. I outline and then I write. I write actually chronologically, but I outline and then I re-outline and then the more, so my notes consist of in a vision of the entire book end to end in outline form that can change and be manipulated. But uh, it's so important for me to keep the continuity of the psychology between the one point of view from chapter to chapter that I like to write chronologically. Mm-hmm. I, I, I totally had you down as a pantser. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the opposite. Wow. In fact, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, I have, I have five books planned. Uh-huh. And I know a lot about them sure. already. <laughs> and you said outlining. Answer? Pants. By pencil, the seat yeah. of his pants. Right by the seat of his pants. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, I that's, a pretty, that's a pretty common way of talking about it. Yes, it, is. it is. And we're going to put links to all of these stories and interesting things that, especially Juliet has mentioned in her upcoming book release, on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love email. If anybody has any questions and they want to post it on Facebook, we will get Juliet to answer that. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the host. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. 